Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Rich, and uh, I'm one of the co-lead pastors here. It is uh, great to be with you all. It's a beautiful, sunny day in October in Seattle, which seems weird, although it's weird that it's also Smoke Fest 2022. So it's like this weird, like, how do you, like, celebrate and also, like, not get engulfed with smoke? And uh, just appreciate those of you who are here in person choosing to be here, and also want to say to those of you who are online how much we appreciate you choosing to be with us. Um, we know you could be doing lots of different things today, and so choosing to be with us means a lot. And uh, for those of you who are online, we want to make sure you know that um, we have set up something called our online platform, which is really our kind of best attempt to help you feel connected online. Um, and the way you can get to that is by going to onelifeseattle.org forward slash live. And um, basically there you're going to just find other tools that you can't get anywhere else, including a Bible app, notes section, um, places to chat and converse and all those kinds of things. So that said, however you choose to join us online, we hope that you will uh, continue with us and um, thank you. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but the last couple weeks, well, for a couple months now, um, I have not been up here as much because I've had the privilege of being with our youth in a transition of our staff. In the co-lead roles, um, we oversee different things, and youth and children is one of the ones that I oversee. And having both of our staff gone means I'm overseeing a lot of different things. Um, and I, I get to hang out with all of our junior high and high school students on Sunday. And, and since I'm up here, Greg's down there, so you could pray for Greg. Um, they're great. Uh, but... Uh, it's very different to be here with you all, um, to see your faces and uh, to engage with you. And, and it's always interesting when you prepare, you take different things into consideration, particularly what we're learning. And if you haven't been with us, we started this series a number of weeks ago called God is Love, looking at this letter, 1 John. And, and Dan, um, oh, maybe it is working. Thanks. We'll see if my slides are working, but um, we've been going through this series, and we've already covered a lot, even though we're only just getting to chapter three. Um, it's full of lots of really amazing stuff, and before we dive in, I just want to remind you, if you don't have a Bible, you should grab one. There's ones in the back for those of you who are here. Um, if you're online, you can use the app or grab your own Bible. I also recommend some paper. If you have the bulletin, there's a section there you could use as well. It's just help you engage. Um, stick with what we're talking about. Um, and if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 3. We'll start with the first verse there. Um, and as you're doing that, before we dive in, I'm just going to pray for us. Father, Son, Spirit, we just thank you for your goodness and grace. We thank you for your faithful presence with us. As I stand next to this table in the center and we remember the work of the cross um, in communion we thank you, and we, as we see this candle, we are reminded of your Holy Spirit's presence with us as close as our very breath. And so we just ask as we, we engage with your word and engage with your spirit, God, you'd help us to hear from you, help us hear something new, encourage us in our walk. We're talking about things like sin today, which is not a super exciting, and, and it can feel really personal God, we pray that what, as we dive into your word that you would encourage us as we think about what it means to be uh, your disciples. And pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
So before we dive into today's text, I want us to get a couple of things of review just to make sure we're on the same page. First thing is, unlike a lot of letters and writings in Scripture, 1 John um, is a little different. It doesn't have a person's name. It doesn't say, I am, here's who it's written to and who's from and here's why and all those kinds of things. And so we have to look to our scholars and lots of details to figure out all those things. And there's lots of um, conversation about it, and I'm not going to bore you with all of those this time around, but I am just going to say, um, particularly with authorship, um, we are joining the majority of biblical scholars in agreeing that what this letter is written by is by John, the same person who wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the Gospel of John, friend of Jesus, uh, one of the disciples. So moving forward, that's what we're doing. We also want to recognize when it was written, probably around 1995, and that it was written to some churches that John had a connection to. Many um, think that this first John was written initially as a sermon that was communicated to this church and it was circulated to other church plants in the area. Um, but there was tough things going on at the time. And as uh, you can imagine... Jesus has been gone at this point for 50, 60 years. Many thought Jesus would have returned by now. So people are having a hard time. There's false theologies coming out. Some are giving up on their faith. There's divisions in the church. There's a lot of people uh, debating all kinds of issues that was causing um, people to leave. And so John's goal in writing this is to convince the people to stick with their faith in Jesus that amidst this disruption, confusion, all these questions, people leaving the church um, to stay. And he's working to untwist any distorted understandings of the gospel, any understandings or theologies of Jesus that people are, are misunderstanding and helping realign people, that they don't give up on the truth that was revealed in Christ. We also learned that there's a bunch of similarities. Again, it's written by John. That's what our assumption is. And so when we see it, oftentimes we'll look at our text for the day, but we'll also look maybe at something that was said in 2nd or 3rd John or uh, particularly in the Gospel of John because oftentimes um, the author is taking something that may have been misunderstood in the Gospel and trying to make some clarity come out of it. So you'll see echoes that connect and clarify words that John spoke in his Gospel. We talked about structure and that this is not like a normal letter that's very linear, it has point by point, it kind of has a flow. This one, totally different. It's circular, it's all over the place. It's a little hard to follow at times. If you feel like you just got a point and then it moves on. Um, Greg kind of came up with this analogy that it's kind of like reading it as you're surfing. Now, I don't know how to swim, so I can't give you a lot of details about that, but I do know the waves move you in all different directions and you just kind of got to go with it. Right? You, you, you don't get to control the waves. And if you go catch another wave, it could take you in a very different direction. And so when we're reading this, we can't go with the assumption it's just going to go point by point because it's moving all over the place. It's very circular, but it keeps coming back to things. And we're going to see this reality today. For example, we already read a few weeks ago from 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. And this is what we read, and I want to show you how this connects. It says this. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. My slide just gave me issues. So now I can't read. 
In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out or practice the truth. Slide change. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. And if we claim to be without sin, we declare ourselves and the truth is not in us. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Now, I'm not going to go back and try to cover everything we learned about this particular section, but I do want to highlight a couple things because you're going to see it come up again today. First one is this idea of sin. And we talked about this idea of sin being missing the mark or being off target. And the key to this isn't just missing the target, but it has to do with your aim. So if we both are um, standing up here with our bow and arrow, and I'm aiming at this picture that's at this wall, and I miss it, that's one thing. But if you're standing next to me, but you're aiming over here, and you miss it, it's very different. We're both missing the mark, but the aim and what we're focused on, what we're trying to hit, is very different. So there's two parts to this idea of sin, what we're aiming at and the idea of missing it. Now, we talked about another thing, and that's this idea of this discipleship language, which is this idea of walk, how we walk or our journey in our faith. And we talked about that this idea is an ongoing, lifelong process. It's not something that just happens one day and we're done. It's lifelong. It's process. It's learning how to embody the person of Jesus in our day-to-day, in our interactions, in the way we live. And then we discuss this idea of this phrase, to live out. And this phrase, to live out, literally means to practice, which is, a, which is a very freeing word. It's not that we have it perfect or anything. It's that we are practicing this. We're learning as we go. And so there may be times when we're walking and Jesus actually corrects us and says, yeah, you know, you should do it this way. Or you try it, and you mess up, and he says, that's okay. We're going to keep practicing until you get this right. And so all of this was understood in this idea of God being the light, that God reveals, that God gives direction, that God makes clear things that aren't clear, and that we're practicing the idea of embodying the love of God in action as a result of experiencing the light. And because of that, we then become lights to the world. Now, I want us to hold on to these concepts as we move on in today's scripture because you're going to see it circle back to this. So if you have your Bibles and you haven't already done so, open it up to John chapter 3. We're going to start, um, we're going to look through the first 11 verses. So it goes like this, 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, exclamation point. And that is what we are, exclamation point. I like highlighting exclamation points. It says, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure, Everyone who sins breaks the law. 
In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Now, before I dive in, I, uh, I had a very busy week. Normally, I get to engage the text a little earlier in the week, and uh, it, it was later in the week, and I was like, oh, I get this section, <laughs> which has lots of really strong statements. And to be very clear, I am not going to be able to hit all the details of this text. There's some really hard things to explain. There's some things that are confusing. There's things that biblical scholars debate about what it means. But what I'm hoping to do is hit a couple things, three in particular, that I think will help kind of hone us in to get a better idea of what's going on. And the first area I want us to note is this idea about our identity in Christ. And when we look at the text, it's not hard for us to see all this language. There's we, us language everywhere. It's community that's being addressed. This is a church. It's a group of disciples. But it's also one that has been splitting up in ways with misunderstandings and false theologies. And so if you remember back into our discipleship series, we learned that when we become disciples or students or apprentices of Jesus, we then take on a new identity that transforms the way we live and how we see people. And one of those shifts is that we are baptized in the name of the Father, which makes us family. We now understand things differently because of our new life found in Jesus. Now we see each other the way God sees us, and that's as his people, as his children. And those shifts have an effect on how we see and relate to people. God sees us as our children, and now we start looking at people as our family, as children. We're made in the image of God, and we are all now brothers and sisters in God's family. So part of what John is getting at here is a way to distinguish who truly is a child of God or not. And so for a moment, I want us just to think about this idea of family. Think about the various ways one would identify you as uh, a child. How do people look at your kids and identify them as your kids? Or when you think of yourself, how do people identify that you were born of your parents? So there's some physical stuff. You look like them. What else? You act like them, for better or for worse. What else? Might use the, anyone have that where, especially as adults, we say something to our kids or to our friends and we realize, oh, I sounded just like my mom just then or something like that. Yeah. What else? You might have some physical afflictions. There might be things that you inherited. 
not just physically, but typically family, there's an inheritance understanding that can come into play. Yeah. That you might learn their worldview. Mm-hmm. Bloodline, DNA, that's another thing, right? Culture, traditions, beliefs, voice, tone. People, some, for some reason, I don't understand it, say my son and I walk the same. I don't know what that means, but apparently we walk the same. I know, my wife says it's true. Uh, <laughs> uh, you might say things like, you have your mother's eyes, right? There's things, uh, if, if you look at the Hirshap's son, I had the honor of doing his wedding, and there's this fantastic picture because he's like 50 feet tall, and I'm like this. And the way the angle, it looks like I have no legs. It's just this amazing thing. But there is no question that he is their kid. You can tell. Six, seven. There you go. Like 20 feet taller than me, approximately. But you get this idea. When we think of family, there's things that help us understand who they are and their relationship, their resemblance. And, and John's talking about this idea, the way you can tell who is family or not, who's a child of God or not. And John says it all comes down to the love of God, that God's love makes us family. And you can see this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. But look what it says next. It says, the reason the world does not know us, meaning children of God, is that it did not know him, referring to Jesus. And this is an echo of something that John said in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, 10 through 13, which says this about Jesus. It says, he came into the world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not of a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. John says, on our own, we're in the dark, and being in the dark makes it hard to see and recognize anything. Thankfully, Jesus comes to us as the light in whom there is no darkness. Now, this doesn't mean he's glowing, literally, right? It's about who he is as a person, his actions, his words, everything about him and how he lives out his life and embodies an exact representation of God. It shows us a different way. It draws us in because it's like seeing a light when you've been in the pitch black. And so with that, imagine you've been in the darkness. You've been locked in a room and there's zero light. It's a long time. And now a bit of light starts to enter the space. And as it does, it starts to affect your eyes. You're drawn to it. It starts to illuminate things. You start to see details you never knew were there, like colors. But imagine as this is happening, you refuse to believe what you are now seeing and experiencing as a result of the light. Even though you saw that table in the middle of the room, it's like you chose to close your eyes and deny it's there. Rather than head towards the light to be freed from the darkness and to be able to see, you turn away from it and keep bumping into things and stumbling around in the dark. Jesus says this in John chapter 16, verse 9, the world's sin 
is that it refuses to believe in me. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. So who are the children of God? Those who have seen Jesus as the light of the world and the God of love and who have believed and accepted the truth of who he is. They believed and accepted the truth of all that the light of love has revealed to us in the person and work of Jesus. And in doing so, they're given a new identity as children of God. And the evidence of this belief and acceptance will be in us living out that new identity with a new target to aim at, embodying the ways of God the Father as perfectly expressed in Jesus. Now, it's important to remember when we talk about believe and accept that this is not this idea of a one-time thing that we go back to to 30 years ago and just say, well, I did it back then and that's it. And we get this when we look at the scriptures. If we go on to verse two, it says this, dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. And so what I want us to, to notice again is this family language, again, this us, we, children of God language. Um, it says dear friends, which literally means beloved ones. It's very relational family. But then it uses this word now, followed by not yet, will be, shall, purifies, hope. These point out that this is understood as a process. That's ongoing, that's not yet complete. And so, yes, we now are children of God, even with our sin struggles, but now we know what to aim for. Being like Christ is our target and our hope, and things will continue to transform in us as we continue to practice living this out. So, in other words, this is very little about metaphysically becoming more like Jesus. It's far more about being children of God who more and more bear the family resemblance family resemblance of God the Father evidenced in how we live like Jesus. So at this point, we have some ideas about how to distinguish who a child of God is. It's someone who has seen the light of Christ, who has chosen to accept and believe in Jesus, and is practicing walking in the way of Christ, embodying the love of Christ for all. But they're no longer completely in the dark, right? They're not perfect, they are in process. But what they hope for, what they're aiming for, and what are in process for is to be more like Jesus. Now the scripture continues and makes it very clear that there are others who do not share the same hope. That there are those who live as if they don't want to be like Jesus. They're living in the darkness of the world and as a result, this is expressing their true nature of their behavior. It says this in verse four. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. John says that the true nature of sin isn't just about these individual, unrelated, random kind of acts, but that the true nature of sin originates from an attitude that resents God's call on the way we live our life. John refers to this as lawlessness. Now, lawlessness, to be lawless, doesn't mean 
uh, simply to break the law. It means to disdain the very idea of a law to which one must submit. So in a Christian context, lawlessness is the rejection of God's authority and the exaltation of the autonomy of self. It's like an atheist who rejects the idea of the existence of God and rejects the thought of a being of any form that they must submit to in any way. So for example, the human heart became lawless in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve thought the opinion that the fruit was good overruled God's authority when God said, don't eat from this tree. And so the foundation then of a right relationship with God is acknowledging that God is the only one who defines the standard of right and wrong and that we must be willing to submit ourselves to that authority. And so to be clear, the word lawlessness always refers to those who have resolutely turned away from God in all ways and does so with contempt to God. And that's really important for us to understand when we look at this text. This is why John pushes the thought that in Jesus there is no sin and that Jesus came to take away our sins. So how could someone claim to be a follower of Jesus and is practicing being like Jesus in every way and also knowingly rationalize sin that goes against the will of God? And now if it wasn't already kind of intense, John then continues and cranks it up. Verse 7, it says this, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. By addressing the readers here again as children, John is recalling to mind the question of whose children are they? And by referencing the devil, the question is implying, whom do they resemble? Do they resemble the father or the evil one? Do they embody the gospel message or are they opposed to the true significance of Jesus? And so John's appeal to not let you be misled is suggesting that there was an opportunity to be misled at this time, particularly about the topic of sin and righteousness. And who knows, but most likely, it's there's people in the church that were very much misled on the idea of sin and righteousness, and they're leaving the community. And this would explain why John would say that they were never really truly part of us, because they were never on the same page. Now, to be very clear, this section of scripture has some really confusing things. And again, depending on the, the biblical scholars you talk to, there's various ways of looking at this. So, so know that what I'm going to say for this next section is just my take based on of it. But if you go to your commentaries, depending on your commentaries, they may land in some different things. But the first thing that we need to make sure when we talk about these things and understand some of these strong language about sin is that when we look at what's said about sin here is that we understand that it is all tied to this idea of lawlessness. And it's how the readers of the day would have heard it. And it's key to understanding this. That means that John is not referring to every sin in the world as lawlessness, but that he is concerned with sin that leads to an eschatological 
judgment, like apostasy. And John will later in chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, talk about how there's sin that does not lead to death. So what sin is not lawlessness then? That's important for us to know. And what John is saying here is that it is sin that's been confessed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And so this circles back to what we already talked about in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, and chapter 2, 1 through 2. The sin of a believer who acknowledges and confesses it is a different type of sin of those who refuse to confess and submit to God's authority. Again, the aim is critical. In other words, yes, a Christian may sin, but if they are truly of God, they will agree with God that their sin is sin. They will confess it and turn from it. And this is very different from those who refuse to define sin as God defines it, who rationalize their behavior as not being sin, or who otherwise defy God's authority in their lives. And the best example of lawlessness and this type of sin is seen in the life of the devil who, as the scripture says, has been sinning from the very beginning. Never stops. Doesn't care what God has to say about any of this. And so in John's thought, the one who lives righteously, though not sinlessly, is a child of the Father in contrast with the one who does lawlessness and has not been born of God, or at least not yet. So having been born of God and having this seed within us given as the reason why a genuine child of God cannot commit lawlessness, that's what we have going on. And it's at the very nature of that conversion that one comes both to believe in God and his existence and authority and to acknowledge one's own sin that made the cross necessary. Now this language about seed it goes all kinds of places. There's lots of ambiguity about what this means, ranging from some indwelling kind of regenerative agent of God to the Holy Spirit to the Word of God. Some say the seed refers to God's offspring. Others see it connected to a birth metaphor, like a, kind of like a spiritual DNA. There's, there's even some commentaries that start playing with the language of like a, a spiritual sperm. It's crazy fascinating all the different directions they go but regardless of how difficult this expression is to understand what is very clear is that being born of god means to continue to be animated by god's creative power and such birth cannot be lost or revoked which is good news john then does another circle brings it back talks about the power of love in the last two verses for our text today. And it says this, with all of that, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Now, there's a ton that I didn't get to. Hopefully, this gives us something to kind of chew on as we process the text. It gives us an idea of what's going on in the text and what's been wrestling around with biblical scholars for a long time. Um, 
I hope that you see all these kind of circling back to things, some connections to concepts and ideas that came up in the beginning, that came up in the Gospel of John, and how they're all trying to work together to kind of connect us. And what they're ultimately trying to connect us to is Jesus, the God of love, the light of the world. And so as we close, I want all of you who, who believe in Jesus and who have accepted the truth of who he is, hopefully you can read this with some greater understanding. Hopefully it puts some ease. Hopefully it brings some grace. Because it's really easy to read these and go, I am doomed. Because we all sin, right? And I'm now being compared to the devil and I have no relationship with God and all these kinds of things. And I hope as you hear some of these things that it brings you back into a place to go, no, I'm a child of God. I hope you hear encouraging words that motivate you to keep pressing on in your discipleship journey. Words like practice and hope. Ideas that communicate how this is an ongoing practice that's rooted in the love and grace of God. I hope it encourages you to continue living out your faith and being a light in our dark world for Jesus because we need more light, more than ever. And I hope you hear and understand that if you believe in Jesus, you are a child of God. You're part of the family, that your sin and your missing the mark doesn't change any of that because it's clear what you're aiming for. And we're seeing a family resemblance. Amen? May we be disciples of Jesus who live out the ongoing practice of living in the light of Christ. And may our walk with Jesus and our fellowship with others be true and honest. And may we practice true confessions, honesty, and living in grace. And may we aim to live out Christ's example of love for all. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. And as they do, I want to invite you to use your connection cards for those of you who are here, it's on your seat. If you're online, there's a, there's a link for you to use. A um, couple questions for you to reflect on. I'd love to hear your thoughts, whether you answer one or all of them or um, something completely different. I'd love to hear from you. Question number one, be honest. Do you think of yourself as a child of God? And I'd love to know why, yes or no. Number two, what are some things you feel moved to confess and own to Jesus? And just to be clear, you do not need to share those with me. Do not write those ones down. That's between you and God. But I want you to consider it. What are some things that you feel moved to confess and own to Jesus? Number three, what's something that challenged your understanding of this text today? My guess is you've heard this text before. You've read it before. You've wrestled with it before. Maybe you've heard some people teach on it. I'd love to hear how this has challenged you, your understanding of things. And, and finally, how might God be inviting you to respond to what we discussed? If you're here today or you're online and you're thinking, I'm not a child of God, uh, I would invite you to think about why that's the case. And if you're thinking, I would like to be a child of God, it's a simple thing to do. It's, it's, it is, it, but it's an acknowledging. You've been in the dark, 
light has been revealed and you're getting a better sense of who Jesus is and who he says he is, that he's the God of love, that he's the God of light, and you're starting to believe in that. You're starting to accept that reality as opposed to ignoring it and acting as if it's not real. And so if that's you, you can just simply pray a prayer. God, I, I believe. I accept who you are. I don't understand all of what it means, but, I, but I've been in the darkness and I've seen some of the light and that's what I want to start aiming towards. And you could just pray that. If you'd like someone to pray with you, that said, our prayer team is here and they'll be over here in the corner. Those of you are in the room, they'd love to pray with and for you. If you're online, they'd love to pray with and for you. All you have to do is hit the request prayer button on the left of the chat um, and they can connect with you there as well. Um, no believing and accepting Jesus doesn't mean you're saying you're perfect. Hopefully you hear that today. Um, you're saying, I don't want to live a life of lawlessness. I want to live a life that recognizes there's some truth to this. And I believe Jesus is the one that's illuminating that truth. And I want to follow in those ways. And maybe you just have been a Christian for a long time, but you just realize you've kind of given up on that and you want to renew that. That's great. That said, I'm going to close this with prayer. The, the band is going to play instrumentally for a few moments to give us time to reflect on what we've heard. Um, please take advantage of the prayer team. And uh, I'm going to close us in prayer, and then we'll sing one last song of response. Let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, we thank you for the love that you've lavished on us that allows us to be children of God. When I think of my kids, there are times when they uh, live in such a way that represents our family and our ways in wonderful ways, and there's times when they don't, and I know I'm guilty of that as well. But we thank you that we're part of a family because of the work of Christ on the cross. And we thank you that we have some, a target to aim at, the perfect representation of God in the form of Jesus and so, God, this morning we just ask you to help us renew us, help us recognize in our, in our struggles that we're still part of the family, that you still love us, and that we can do this. We can continue to practice living this out in our day-to-day. -day. Help us be lights to the world. And God, for those who are maybe thinking about this for the first time, God, I just pray... Um, they would feel the welcoming of your warm embrace. Of this light that's entered, that's revealing things. And I pray that they would release themselves from lies in the darkness. And they would feel invited into this new family. Be with us as we process. Be with us as we end with worship. And as we be in community. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.